So as Freya said, I am launching a new series for this new term. And in order to do this, I need to ask you guys a question, all right? Don't worry, there won't be, uh, you won't get marks for this. But here's, here's the question, are you ready? Are you dangerous? Sorry, why are you laughing? No, no, seriously, are you really dangerous? Okay, turn around to someone next to you and say, are you dangerous? Ah. I'm not sure I'm getting the cut through that I wanted on that question. Let me ask you another question. Does hell know your name? Oh, Mark. He's lost it now, hasn't he? Honestly. How can you ask that? I hope not. I hope heaven knows my name. By the way, I hope that not only does heaven know your name, but your name is written in the book of life. If it doesn't, then today is a day of salvation. Don't leave this place without saying yes to Jesus. Because FYI, hell is as real as heaven. Just saying. Does hell know your name? What a curious question. Why did I ask you that question? Well, I have been chewing on a passage of Scripture these past few weeks. And I've just been wondering what the Lord has been saying through it. And I'd like to read it to you. And it's this curious account that we read in Acts. And you can turn with me if you wish. It'll be on the screen as well. It's Acts 19, verses 11 to 13. Let me read this to you. And I think as I read it, you'll understand why I asked you the question, does hell know your name? God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illness were cured and the evil spirits left them. Wow, can you imagine that? Unbelievable. Now, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Now, one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know about. Who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. My word, what a crazy story. I think in our secular, Western, materialistic culture, with that kind of worldview, we struggle to really comprehend what's happening here. We struggle to really understand that um, spiritual realm exists. And in this story, what just strikes me is Jesus we know. Paul we know about, but who are you? So let me ask you the question again. Does hell you know your name? Good answer. Are you dangerous? Nice. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm dangerous. I tell you something, I'm properly dangerous. You know, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at dangerous faith. In this safety conscious, woke field world, no one wants to be dangerous to anybody. And I get that. It's not about being dangerous to people. It's about being dangerous to the enemy. Like, if you're a Christian, you sign up to be dangerous, by the way. If you're a Christian, you sign up to do some extraordinary things just like Paul here did. If you've signed up to be a Christian, it's not about signing up to some kind of moral code. It's about taking on the message 
and the ministry and the mission of Jesus. You know, John Wimber, our founder of the Vineyard Movement, used to say that. He said, you know, you don't have your own ministry. You walk in the message and the ministry and the mission of Jesus. Hands up if, if you think that da- Jesus was dangerous to the enemy. Well, so are you supposed to be? We don't just read these stories and think, wow, that was cool. You know, Wimber, quoting him again, some of you will know the story that he was a rock and roller, enjoyed the drugs and drinking and the rock and roll lifestyle. And then he encountered Jesus. And so he and his wife started to go to a church and Wimber would get into the New Testament and read these accounts such as this. And he went up one day to the pastor of the church and he said to the pastor, Pastor, when do we get to do the stuff? I said, excuse me? You know, the stuff, the casting out demons, the healing the sick, all of that stuff. When do we get to do it? And the pastor said, no, 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 we don't get to do the stuff. We just read about it. Now, listen, we might laugh at that and it is a funny story. But I want to challenge you. How often do we fall into that trap that we read the stuff, but we don't do the stuff. I think what I'd like to do is look at Mark chapter one. Why do I want to look at Mark chapter one? Because for me, it's such a perfect way to demonstrate Jesus's um, message, ministry, and mission. And I'm going to read through it. And what I'm going to do in the short time that I have is extract some key dynamics or hallmarks of kingdom living. And so let's read this together. Uh, It's in Mark, as I said, we're going to look at chapter one. Let me just read it from the start. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold the phone. I just want to say something. The gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? The good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. The son of God. Just from the get-go here, Mark is saying, listen, it's good news because Jesus has come and he is the son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, quoting Isaiah here, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. There was a prophecy that someone would come to make the way and prepare the way. And who appeared? John. Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. What is repentance? It's saying, Lord, you know, I've moved away from you, God. And so I make a choice to move away from the things that are not of you and walk towards you. That's repentance. It's a decision that we make. And so John will say, listen, God is coming. Jesus is coming. You better start repenting. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with the camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. What a guy. Imagine, crazy. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then we carry on reading about the baptism of Jesus and what happens And a voice from heaven came, you are my beloved son with whom you are well pleased. Can I just say in parenthesis at this point, isn't it interesting that God the Father declared that he is well pleased with his son before Jesus did anything? 
I mean, all the good stuff was about to come. But the father said, this is my son. I'm well pleased with him. Can I just say, God is pleased with you about who you are, not what you do. That's not to diminish works. Works is evidence of our faith. The Lord's delight in you and your, his pleasure on you doesn't come from the things that you do. And I, I'm sorry to say, oftentimes we operate out of that place, don't we, of doing stuff to get God's pleasure. You don't have to do that. Sometimes we need to just take a step back and say, thank you that you're pleased with me, God. Thank you that you love me. That is so free, and if we can just capture that. And then what happened? The Spirit immediately drove him out of the wilderness. This is Jesus, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does Jesus declare the first thing? saying, listen, guys, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Why? Because the king was there, Jesus. The king was there, and so the kingdom was breaking in. We need to understand the nature of God's kingdom in order to understand what our mission and ministry and message is. Because if you don't get the reality of what it means for God's kingdom to break in and our part in that, we'll just read about the stuff and not do the stuff. Jesus declares the kingdom is at hand. Now listen, I think a good way to describe this is the phrase that we love to use at the vineyard, which is the here and not yet of the kingdom. Jesus' first advent, he came as a suffering saviour, a babe in a manger. He came to bring forgiveness and salvation. But he will come again as the righteous judge. He will come again victorious and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we are in that space. It's called the dispensation of grace. Dispensation is just a fancy word for time period. We're in the church age. And when Jesus comes again, he will fully consummate the kingdom. He will sit on the throne and everything will be under his feet. But until that time, his kingdom is breaking in. It's akin to the Second World War and D-Day and V-Day. When D-Day occurred, the victory was made, but the battle still raged until V-Day. It was only going to go in one direction. The Allies were only ever going to win because of that decisive victory in D-Day. And you see, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant it. It's finished. And we're in that period of time now where Jesus is about to come back and consummate his kingdom. It is the here and not yet of the kingdom. And then as we read, let's look in Mark because I want to look at five areas of how his kingdom is breaking in and what our ministry therefore is. Let's read what happens. First thing, number one, making disciples. Let's read this, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Can I say that is a hallmark of kingdom living? That that was Jesus' ministry, making disciples. And that is ours as well. I want to ask you a question. You can be dangerous to the enemy if you're making disciples. 
You can be dangerous to the enemy if you've got people alongside you that you can invest in. Who is in your world that is your disciple? You say, well, hold the phone, Mark. I, I, I wouldn't count myself that important to have disciples. Can I just say, it's not about that. It's about, it's all of our ministry to have people alongside us that we can help come to know Jesus and walk in his fullness. Well, let me ask you again. Are you dangerous to the enemy? Do you have disciples in your life? I reckon right now the Holy Spirit, if that Holy Spirit, would you come now and just prompt people for who they should, who you place in their lives that you want them to disciple. And that's what our church has been set up to do, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, Ephesians. We're here to equip all of us, me included, so that we can continue in Jesus' ministry. And part of that is equipping you to have disciples. And that's why when equip comes up in autumn, which talks about how we can do that, please sign up for that. It's going to be so important. Number two, what else do we see? Let's move on. Another aspect of kingdom living or of being dangerous is uh, verse 23 to 25. Let's read this. Uh, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed in him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him and they were all amazed. Here's a question. Do you get to do that stuff? Mark, that doesn't happen today, does it? Oh, yes, it does. Would like to believe it doesn't because it's a bit messy. It doesn't need to be. I, I, I have seen some amazing things of God's kingdom breaking in and setting the captive free. I remember I was praying with someone and we were praying. They had a problem with fear. And all of a sudden, their face started convulsing. And my hair on my head went up. I know exactly what's going on here. You know, when you invite the Holy Spirit to come, the other stuff can't stay. Now, they had to, <laughs> in that moment, actually, I said this. What's your name? They said, fear. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you out of so-and-so. And there was a scream. And then there was a peace. You want to tell me it doesn't happen? You know, I've, I used to be a worship leader of a healing and deliverance ministry. This is back in the early noughties. Uh, why do we say noughties? It wasn't naughty. <laughs> healing deliverance ministry, naughty. No, it was good. Yes, thank you. And we, had, we did conferences. And, uh, and I remember this testimony that just blew my mind. In the room, they were renouncing certain curses and words they'd spoken over themselves because, you know, it says in the scriptures that power of life and death is in the tongue. You can speak a curse over yourself. Did you know that? And so we need to say, Lord, forgive me for saying that over and break the power. You can do it yourself. I break the power of those words over me in Jesus' name. But anyway, they were renounced stuff and there was some mighty deliverance. Anyway, in the evening, this couple came up to give their testimony. They said, I just want to let you know what happened. We went through renouncing and repenting and And we felt such a release. But that afternoon, I called my mother, this is the lady speaking, who was looking after our three kids. And what happened was the exact time they were being delivered, all three of their kids were being sick and puking up. Why? Because generational curses. It's in the Bible, by the way. Their children were being set free at the same time. And I could give you countless of stories 
And I'm sure you could give me countless of stories where you've seen the power of God break in and hell knows your name and says, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, and I know your name too, and I'm out of here. Like, this should be the stuff that we do. We're called to be dangerous to the enemy. We get to do the stuff, and we're going to be doing the stuff over the next five weeks. Not necessarily that. We'll see what happens. We will fish for it. But why? Because we have authority in the name of Jesus. When Jesus gave us the great commission to go and make disciples of every nation, he gave us the authority. And this is what happened in that story, you see. The authority comes because of relationship with Jesus, not just the name of Jesus. That's why what happened in that account, you see, these, these Jewish uh, priests, they thought, well, it clearly works for Paul. There must be some magic formula. We'll just use the name of Jesus. But it didn't work. The authority that you have in Jesus is because of the relationship you have with him. Because there is that divine exchange. He takes your sin on the cross and bears the punishment that was due you and his righteousness is given to you. I'll have that. That sounds like a good deal, quite frankly. But it means that you walk in the authority that God has for you. Let's move on. There's another, there's a third thing. Let's look at verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him him about her and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. Wow! I mean, of course, you can carry on reading here and you went to a town and they, they brought all their sick. Do we get to do that stuff now? Well done, good answer. Does that make us dangerous to the enemy by doing that stuff? Why? Because sickness is not of the Lord. Can I ask you a question? Who, who prays, don't you put your hand up, who prays the Lord's Prayer? Right. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be on earth. So what do you think that means? It means this stuff now. If you're praying that, you're part of the answer, can I just tell you, FYI. Why? Because you've been called to be dangerous. Oh, yes. Don't, I'm getting excited. It's all good. Healing. You know, I've been just so privileged to see God heal people. Just pray for someone's back and, and just seeing them healed in that moment. Or I prayed for a lady who had fibromyalgia and she was healed. And other things like that. And I know you guys have those testimonies and those stories of healings. Why? Because hell knows your name. And so when you say sickness, I command you to go in Jesus' name. Well, they say, okay then, I know your name. Why? Because the name of Jesus when you command that knee, I remember when I prayed for that, I said, I speak to this knee in Jesus' name and I say, be whole. And the knee gets healed. In fact, I remember one time, was it three years ago? I was bringing that testimony right, the lady was sitting over there and in that moment, and I was, as I gave a word about healing of knee, her knee just healed like that. And how she had a bandage around her because it was inflamed and it just slipped, slightly slipped down the bandage. She comes to me afterwards and she says, I've got to tell you this story. I had a dream about you last night. And in that dream, there was healing. I said, whoa. Why? Because we're dangerous. Hands up if you want to be dangerous. Ask your person next to you, do you want to be dangerous? I hope the answer is yes. <laughs> we get to do this stuff. Why? Because hell knows your name. And you have authority in the name of Jesus. Come on. Number four. Should we continue? Good, I'm glad. Good answer. I would have carried on anyway if you said no. But just want to let you know that. <laughs> Where am I? And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, this is verse 35, 
he departed and went out to a desert, desolate place and there he prayed. That is a mark of the kingdom, our prayer life. You ask, you have not because you asked not. You know, there is a direct correlation between the private place of prayer and the public power that God shows. There is a direct correlation. You know, you want to be used mightily by God? Yes, that is my prayer for each one of you. Then get on your knees and get into the quiet place. The oldies used to call it the prayer closet. I, I rather like that. Have you got a prayer closet somewhere in your house? Doesn't need to be a literal closet. It can be a place that you sit. It can be wherever. But are you spending time? Listen, if Jesus, come on, needed to do that, how much more do we need to do that? I mean, he was fully man and fully God. We need to get in that prayer closet and we need to get on our knees. And I'm telling you this because I keep telling myself this. I shared last week about just the, 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 the sense that the Lord had on me, which is like, you're not praying enough. You are not seeking me enough. You're not spending time with me enough. I'm like, I'm sorry, Lord. Kingdom living, being dangerous to the enemy, get praying. What else? Number five. And then I'll attempt to bring this plane to land. Preaching and teaching, number 13, verse 39. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Right. Now, you might discount yourself here and say, well, Mark, you can preach. You're the pastor. But I want to challenge you and say, it's not about this. It's about in the context that God has placed you in, are you declaring and proclaiming Jesus? Are you looking for opportunity? to speak about Jesus. It says in the scriptures that we should always be prepared for the hope that we have to explain that. I, we were on holiday recently, as you know, and um, um, Steph was chatting. I was in the pool reading a book, and Steph was chatting to a couple. And in her hand, Steph had this uh, Peter Scazzaro that I mentioned, the um, daily... Um, Thank you, Sally. Emotionally healthy spirituality daily readings. Thank you. And she was talking to this couple. And as I, I and you know, sometimes when I'm on holiday, if I'm completely honest with you, I like to just check out. And the introvert in me is like, I don't want to speak to anyone. I don't want to speak to anyone. <laughs> Steph, on the other hand, is who can I speak to? Who can I speak to? I love that about you, by the way, darling. That is a compliment. Um, anyway, so I walked past it and said, Darling, come, come, come to come here. I've just been talking to this couple. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> and um, You've got to forgive me. I said, oh, just talking to this chap here. I'm not going to give you names. And unfortunately, you know, he lost his mother um, three years ago, I think it was. And he's been struggling ever since. And, and the reason we're saying this is because he noticed my daily devotional. And, and, you know, his auntie, who's a Christian, has given him one as well. And he's really searching for God. At this point, I did wake up a bit, you know. And I said, Lord, help me be sensitive to know what to do at this point. And I just had the sense the Lord said, now's not the time, but there will be a time. So I just said hello. And listen. That evening, because the kids were playing with each other on their phone, and we just spoke, and, and we were just chatting at night. You know, the stuff, entertainment was going on, and he was telling me his story, and he hasn't been able to cry since his, his mother passed, and blames God, and all of this stuff, and he hasn't been able to sleep since well. And I just said, listen, this is what the Lord's got to say to you, that he loves you, and he, there's freedom for you. And I won't go into the detail of the conversation, but all of a sudden he says, 
oh, I don't know what's going on. I've got my, my hairs on my arm is just sticking up. I didn't say anything crazy. I just said the Lord loves you and there's freedom for you. And then we talked about it and then I said, you know, Psalm 23 is a great psalm. I talked about it, he goes, oh, no way, this is crazy. My auntie just told me that recently. He said, you know, we weren't even supposed to be here on holiday, but God made a way for us to, and I think this is why. And I said, I would love to pray with you. You know, we talked about lots of stuff. I said, I said we can do that now outside or we can do it tomorrow. He said, let me do it tomorrow. I said, okay. So the next day, we spend a couple of hours together. And I said, I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And as you do, as I do, you might get a picture or something. And he shared me his picture. I said, to cut a long story short, there was some unforgiveness about his mum leaving him. And as he, as he said, I'm, as, he, as we prayed through that, he just started to cry for the first time. We ministered into that. And then he had another picture of him and, and what was a father figure, but he couldn't see the face and holding. And then I said, you know what? That's the Lord. And he ministered into that and he gave his heart to Christ. You know, that's what it means to be dangerous. And I, by the way, bless you. I don't share it for the applause. I share it to encourage you. And you might think, well, Mark, you're a pastor. All I did was I said, God loves you. Like, are we brave enough and courageous enough to be dangerous to the enemy? Does hell know your name? Like, let's not mess around here. Souls are on the line. Because Jesus will come again. I want to invite the band up. Right, it's 12 o'clock. Wow, majorly overrun. I'm going to wrap up in two minutes. Ben, why don't you come up on the stage? <laughs> I'm aware, however, that we've got children in groups. And so in a couple of minutes, after I wrap up this message, and don't worry, there's going to be more of this over the next few weeks, I'm going to invite you to go and get your kiddies in a moment. But before I want to do that, I want to just say this. How can we be dangerous? It's about faith. There's a reason it's called Dangerous Faith, this series. And I want to tell you that the type of faith that is mainly peddled around in Christian circles today is not the kind of faith that will make you dangerous. I'm sorry to say this. I did a Google, I just thought, you know, for the purpose of research, I, I, I looked on Amazon and typed in faith, Christian books, and most of them look like self-help books. If you have the faith, you can get this. If you have the faith, you can have a great life. If you can have faith, you will do this. I looked at YouTube, same old story, but I can't read that kind of faith in the Bible. Because the kind of faith in the Bible that makes us dangerous is not that kind of faith. Let me give you seven statements about what kind of dangerous faith is, opposite against the type of prosperity, gospel, faith message that is banded around. Number one, dangerous faith will cost you, not enrich you. I'm telling you, dangerous faith will cost you, not enrich you. Number two, dangerous faith seeks to serve and save others, not ourselves. Number three, dangerous faith sees the invisible not rely on the visible. Number four, dangerous faith seeks to bring glory to God, not build a name for ourselves. Number five, dangerous faith requires courage, not the path of least resistance. Number six, dangerous faith is utterly dependent on God, not independent from God. And number seven, Dangerous faith seeks a better home, not this one. Oh boy. I'm going to have to stop preaching now because I'm about to go off on one. But over the next four or five weeks, we're going to unpack what it looks like to have dangerous faith and we're going to get to do the stuff as well. Who's up for that? I'd like to stand as I pray.
Thank you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus.